Hey everyone, welcome to the Psych Sideshow Podcast. We made this podcast to develop our curiosity and yours. And we imagine ourselves as keen experimentalists when researching and implementing protocols and hope you can imagine yourself as that as well. Our thoughts and views are aligned with the knowledge of an undergraduate student and it's not meant to be taken as professional advice in any sense. But join us chaotic beings in this journey of self-discovery as long as it is in a safe and informed manner. We We hope hope you enjoy enjoy this episode. Hello everybody to the Sex Social Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about sex. Whoa, crazy. This is your host Lucian and my other host. Sneha. Our two hosts here, me and Sneha. <laughs> anyway. Um, chaotic, as always. Yes. Uh, no, I, I just feel like being a bit chaotic this uh, the beginning of this podcast. But anyway, <laughs> so what have you been up to, Let's Sneha? Let's get that energy out. What have you been doing, Sneha, since what the last podcast? What have I been doing? All things all at once, if I may. Like that movie? Huh? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm just trying so many different things all at once. I feel like my brain is so scattered in terms of like not having one focus point. Ah, that's good. Has it been fun though? That's what it's important. It has been fun. I haven't been able to process what fun I've been having, but overall, in a good frame of mind. Well, who, who doesn't want that? You have so much fun, you can't even process how much fun you're having. Yeah, but like also the come down is going to be quite hectic. Ah, that's all good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll Don't think about, about that it later. later. Uh, Matt, what about you, Loose Loose? Uh, I've been doing well. Just uh, We're about to hit final exam season. We are. A lot of assignments, so it's been a bit stressful. We had a little bit of a break between uh, this podcast and our last podcast, but now we're going to get back into it. Maybe we might be a little bit slower still through like final exams and stuff, but we have a few things lined up, so hopefully we can keep getting some stuff to you. And... Uh, I organised a little special interview, which people are going to get excited for. It's going to be a secret. You're going to see it come out soon. Hopefully, a few weeks' time. See how it goes. But anyway, let's get started. So, what's your relationship with sex? (laughs) (laughs) I'm quite novice. Um, A beginner. Still learning a lot, obviously. Learning the ropes of sex. How about yourself? Uh, Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Doing yeah, all right. Just a yes. Yep. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do not. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we looked at that meme. Uh, we looked at a meme before this. The one uh, with the uh, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Kamala. and Kamala Harris. Yeah. And it's like, do not come. I'm gonna come. <laughs> do not come. <laughs> uh, so that's gonna be the kind of vibe of this podcast episode. Yeah, we're trying to take things a bit easy, even though sex sometimes might be a hard topic to talk about. Yeah, of course, it's always a, a bit of an awkward topic to talk about with friends, even loved ones. But I think uh, it should be made easier. Yeah, like, let yeah, it be espe- a normal especially with those that you're in a relationship with. I think it's an important topic to be honest with each other. Yeah. So, uh, the fir- first kind of researcher of sex was called uh, Alfred Kinsey uh, in, in the 1940s. This is uh, when sex uh, research started becoming more popular in Western science. But uh, it obviously, everything that starts, super stereotypical, biased, terrible. <laughs> uh, but so we're not going to go too in-depth with that. The next one is Masters and Johnson. Which is a bit more interesting. Uh, I think it's actually a bit 
more well known because they started the proper theory of I guess the steps of sex and what is the steps of sex. Do we know what they are? Yes, they... we do. Yeah, okay. So the steps of sex, they said, was uh, excitement, a plateau, orgasm, and then res- resolution phase. Mm. And the way they found this, um, uh, I guess, steps of sex is they got, like, hundreds of couples and, like, people to come in and literally have sex in the lab and they, like, <laughs> <laughs> and they, like, observe them and, like, try and figure out all the different steps they're in basically a science version of porn yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) which i can't imagine how awkward that would have been uh and uh yeah basically excitement you get excited you get like oh i want this i want this more uh plateau is kind of like oh uh maybe like a more streamline of pleasure and then you have the orgasm uh fun but of course, orgasm, something that this theory may not account for. Not everyone gets an orgasm, which is completely normal and fine. Yeah. Uh, basically, yeah. Like, uh, it's totally not unnatural. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I've been reading a book, actually, we've both been reading a book by Emily Nagowski, and uh, it's been super informative, highly recommend. It's really good. And, uh, yeah, she talks about a lot of her research into sex and a lot of her patients talking about sex. And uh, one of the, a lot of, uh, a good uh, amount of patients haven't had an orgasm since they were, like, 40. Wow. Yeah, so sometimes it's just not something that uh, everyone has, and that's that's completely fine. And, in fact, uh, she talks a lot about um, if you do want to get, an, like, an orgasm, then it's more about not thinking about it as much and I guess we can start getting into this. <laughs> Basically, uh, how to have more pleasure during sex. Uh, it's very much to do with context. Mm. So, okay, yes. Yes, so basically context in the relationship is probably the most important thing to be getting ready and getting ready to go and have more intense and possible orgasms. And uh, but what is context? What is it? What is context? It's basically the setting. If we were like the, both in mind space and the physical setting yep. that's set up right? exactly. And uh, yeah, basically context is the mind space, uh, which uh, is important to think about because there are a lot of things that I guess they call it uh, exciters and inhibitors, mm-hmm. and basically. Uh, Exciters are the things that turn you more on. Inhibitors turn you more off. And maybe I'll let you talk a little bit. Um, (laughs) That's all right. So people do have a bunch of like exciters and inhibitors, which is context-based. And I think it's very dependent on how they're feeling, their stress levels, and their likes and dislikes, and how they were also brought up Mm. developmentally. Um think we took the test for the inhibitors and the oh yeah we did (laughs) but i kind of forgot um what our thing was but i think you were low i think i was like medium Medium. for both of them yeah okay and i think i was high for both exciters and inhibitors yeah i think something like that so basically uh what this test was doing it, it was saying how sensitive we are 
to exciter stimuli or inhibitory stimuli. So basically an example would be like if I have a high uh, inhibitory uh, like sensory stuff, basically uh, things that are going to turn me off turn me more off than most people. So say I get like a, a stressful thought or I become a bit self-conscious of my body, uh, then that's going to just immediately shut me down. I'm going to go like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And then high accelerators is basically the opposite. You're super hyperreactive. Yeah. Um, and another fun fact was that people can be high exciters but also have contradictory sort of thoughts in terms of initiating it. Mm. Like they can change their minds in between or like whilst doing it within the act itself. Yeah. And that's also completely normal. Of course. And I think from the podcast... Um, Emily Nagowski's podcast. Yeah. Um, I think that is a case study of this woman who's like, oh, I really want to do it, but I can't physically get myself to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it is very normal. So it, uh, Emily Nagowski, I can't say her last name. Nagowski. Nagowski. <laughs> um, yeah, so she was like, it could be something that you were brought up with because there's been a lot of information with sex ed in school which mm. tells you oh no protection or like this way is the only way that's done that has to be done to make it right or to do it uh, right. only done with no protection no, no, no. <laughs> no like i think no nah, i know what you mean yeah sex ed doesn't really talk emphasize on pleasure no no it definitely doesn't it's very much like biology kind of like oh uh, it's more fear-based. Yeah, exactly. It's very much uh, fear-based, but it's also biology-based, but it doesn't really explain a lot of things that... A lot of the questions that I think a lot of people have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was a problem that could potentially come up when you're facing inhibitors and exciters. I think knowing your own inhibitors and exciters would be... would like help you know what you like and to be able to communicate that with partner who you're sleeping with yeah exactly like uh, an exercise that emily nagaski suggests is that you make a list one has inhibitors uh two titles one inhibitors one exciters and basically you write all everything down that like turns you off turns you on and it doesn't even have to be sex related say uh stress uh stress turns me off makes sense uh, what about something else? Um, maybe thoughtful actions turn me on. Say gifts, or mm, what else? Can you think of anything else? Another example. What turns you off? What turns you oh, on? Yeah, exactly. Turns you off or on? Okay. Terms of some potential turn-ons. Anything to do with love language, like a safe touch. Yeah, soft, soft, soft touch. touch. Soft, safe touch. Um eye contact affirmation also affirmation. uh being pursued or being the pursuer that's yeah. quite a big one so basically do you like being the one that's pursued or do you like being the pursuer with sex yeah okay exactly mm. uh but yeah it, it can be basically anything that you feel like impacts that part of your life and it's very important to well it's a good exercise to write this stuff down so like what you said communicate with that your partner and uh i guess you can both know 
what's going on. And of course, this is something, even though Emily Nagowski's books primarily talks about female like anatomy and pleasure, I think this is a, like an exercise even like the guys can do. Like, I think it's very much uh, related to a lot of things. And I think a lot of the things in the books, uh, I feel like even though uh, it is, like, for girls, oh, for women, I should say, uh, I think a lot of the things she's talked about I can almost, like, relate to as well, which is another topic. Uh, Should I start now? Non-concordance, do you think? All right. So basically, non-concordance is super interesting. I found it really interesting, and I think uh, it's definitely something most people can relate to. Uh, basically, it means that uh, your gen- genital response does not equal uh, pleasure, or it doesn't equal desire. So, say uh, if you're a girl, say you get you uh, feel like more wet than usual then basically that doesn't mean that you have desire or pleasure inherently. Like Obviously, that can be a sign in some situations, but it doesn't definitely mean that, mm-hmm. uh, which is fine. Uh, and that's, I think that's... Uh, she doesn't say it, but I think it's definitely related to guys as well. So sometimes, especially like in high school, when you're going through all those hormones, uh, it's kind of like, oh, you get aroused in this situation, which may not be the best situation, even though you don't feel aroused. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, um, with non-concordance, is there a reason for it? Uh, it's just a human function, really. This is a biological Yeah, it's just a biological function that's really important to understand. So you don't feel like there's, I guess, something wrong with you at the end of the day because... Uh, even something which I found super interesting is orgasms can be non-concordant. So you can have an orgasm and you have feel no pleasure or desire from it. Yeah. Like there was a case in the book where she was talking about a woman who was exercising and she had an orgasm. Things, they don't always relate to desire and pleasure. Sometimes they're just bodily functions that just happen and... You shouldn't. Uh, at the end of the day, the most important thing to realize is not focus on the body parts and the reaction of body parts, but listening to your partner. I think it's the most important because in the end, the only way you can really know if someone feels desire and feels that pleasure is by talking it through the other person. And I think a lot of it is also attenuated by good, like a comfortable space to be in yeah when you communicate that to a partner the way they receive it and reciprocate would also play an important role in how comfortable you feel in that context yeah exactly or in communication i feel like that would really be helpful in terms of having a good sex life there was actually a funny study showing that uh having sex with socks on makes it easier to have an orgasm what socks on bed (laughs) (laughs) okay Uh, but nah it's not the reason that you think so basically they had an MRI machine I think it was and basically people were like you know I think they were like masturbating or something and scientists were like jotting everything down and measuring uh, brain functions and uh, the room was just cold so basically having socks warmed them up and it made it easier to feel pleasure and desire to do it okay that makes sense again it kind of relates to context uh, little basic things that make you feel uncomfortable 
during maybe those times that you feel that like wanting and desire even just little things that make you uncomfortable can have a big effect and another thing emily nagowski says is if you do want those like crazy orgasms the stories like people that have like i think there was like a quote in the book that someone said it felt like all her life she was like on the shore and one and then this one time she felt like she was in the ocean of pleasure yeah. like in the middle of it rather than on the shore mm-hmm. and uh she said a big uh a, a way that you can do this is or at least attempt to try because again it's not it's not uh, ev- something that everyone can do, which is which is fine. Uh, basically, uh, making sure the context is perfect. All your turn-ons are there. All your turn-offs are off. Yeah. Being able to see that and making your context perfect is like the 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 best way you can have an orgasm. If you have trouble having an orgasm, or if you have orgasms or whatever and you want to keep going or if you just want the most pleasure out of it as you want mm-hmm. which yeah i think it's a really interesting context is very important even uh we were talking a lot about like physical and like feeling in the moment but i think also just uh that time a period in your life to so say if you're not feeling very happy at the moment like we all have our ups and downs maybe that will also decrease pleasure and be a turn off yeah so i think we've explained it enough i think yeah uh, it's pretty clear what a turn on and turn off is but yeah it can be anything basically but you need to write it down to understand it yeah exactly it's easier if you write these things down because obviously we you can think of it in on the spot in your head and go like oh yeah this i think this turns me on this turns me off this turns me off this turns me off in daily life but if you don't write it down you're probably going to forget right yeah and it may actually make it harder to communicate that to someone that yeah you want to communicate that to mm-hmm. but you're also talking about secure and oh insecure yes. from your notes um yeah so what is a secure and insecure sex is that from in the context of like the sex space or the relationship itself? this is more relationship style okay so in a secure, people tend to be reliably more comfortable and trust their partner. And in an insecure relationship style, they feel uncomfortable and worry and don't trust their partner. So I'm curious on how this would reflect on like different types of relationships itself. Yeah. So basically, uh, I don't think we're going to go too in-depth with this, but we'll do a pretty general thing about attachment style mm-hmm. it's basically attachment styles are created when you're young when uh, with your parents and basically these are the things that are created to see how you react to people that you love so basically when you're young uh i i think most people love their parents and the way that I mean, they're the only people who you're dependent on yeah so exactly so you're dependent on your parents and the way that you were raised definitely impacts the way you handle love with other people later on in life. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to be very similar. Uh, and basically, attachment styles, anxious attachment style, very, like, general. We're going to be very general about this. Uh, basically, these are kind of the attachment styles that make you feel more insecure in a relationship, makes you feel like 
the other you can't trust the other person as much mm-hmm. maybe they're not you don't feel dependent maybe you like close off from your partner when you're having difficulties basically these kind of maybe not very healthy behaviors that not that isn't going to help the relationship in the long run and secure attachment styles are very much more being having open communication trusting your partner uh being able to yeah a, a lot of it's like about trusting your partner i think and being open not being controlling or anything like that yeah. all these very important attachment uh parts and something i found interesting that uh i think yeah i think it, yeah it was in the book as well she said the reason that heartbreak is so painful is because it is the equi- like uh, it is the equivalent of a parent deserting you yeah you yeah which i which i thought was which an interesting way to think about it and it makes sense why when someone you love breaks up with you or so, or even you breaking up with them that that i guess uh breaking away can be so painful because it is very much attached to that innate relationship with like your parents almost which is an interesting way to uh, yeah i, th- I thought Does it was I interesting think like um when you're with a partner long enough your nervous system kind of gets adjusted yeah to like when they're around yeah and i feel like it's the same in the parental relationships as well yeah so potentially could do more research into it yeah on how nervous systems are affected over time in relationships and yeah which is why i feel like you know how people if they are inclined to go for the same type of partners that yeah. spark like the same emotional and affective sort of feelings within themselves similar to how their relationship was with their parents yeah exactly so yeah and like that can be another well one only one reason um, there's plenty of other reasons but one reason why people uh sometimes get stuck in abusive relationships because once you create that relationship and then you and then you find out later that it's abusive uh sometimes your attachment style can make you feel like uh you need to stay in that relationship you can always fix it which that that's your safety yeah exactly that's your safety mechanism even if it's not the healthiest thing you can do yeah which i think is very interesting as well um oh yeah a little bit because i love talking about uh neurotransmitters in our brain uh just a few things that uh neurotransmitters that go through your brain during um our relationship just a little bit of knowledge uh dopamine of course everyone loves their dopamine uh <laughs> dopamine creates this feeling of uh addictedness to your partner so almost like an obsession uh good so, old dopamine yeah exactly good old dopamine and serotonin causes rumination which is why whenever you're not with your partner you always think about them yeah uh oxytocin of course it is the hug drug uh it is basically when any physical tra- uh physical hugs happen uh, bond, uh which creates bonding and it happens also after orgasm a big dose and also after childbirth which i thought was interesting you get a yeah, big burst of oxytocin which is why mothers love their kids yeah uh and vasopressin which is an interesting one it actually causes stress so you actually do inherently feel a little bit of stress in relationships which is fine 
Uh, Ali's the starting stages, or yeah, yeah, Ali's the yeah. starting stages. Like you always feel a little bit of stress maybe about it, which is normal, and uh, you just have to not let that stress, I guess, take over. If that makes <laughs> yeah. sense. Like you gotta recognize it and go like, oh, okay, I'm feeling stressed. There's a new relationship. It's normal. I don't know what's gonna happen. It's all mystery. Yeah, which is completely normal. And uh, another thing I want to talk about because I love talking about things. <laughs> Uh, is called their model of self-expansion mm. of love. Okay. And basically, uh, this is something I was looking at recently from one of our lectures. Uh, it is not a perfect theory. Like, I don't think there's a lot a lot of evidence about it, but I just thought it was interesting. I'm going to bring it in. Uh, there's some evidence for it. Uh, but basically, it's talking one theory of of desire in long-term relationships. So basically, it talks about how when you first get in a relationship, the first, the reason that we get in relationships is for self-expansion. So basically increasing our knowledge, increasing our own potential by being with someone else and integrating ourselves more with the other person. And basically it says over time in the relationship, your feeling of self-expansion decreases, yeah. which would be one of the reasons why your feeling of desire decreases over time as well for your partner. And someone did a study on this. Uh, they did find that self, the feeling of self-expansion did decrease, but the only thing that decreased uh, over time was uh, obsession. So basically, the longer you're in a relationship, the less obsessed you're going to be with the other person. Mm. But this doesn't affect uh, attractiveness. So basically, you uh, attractive. Uh, like feeling attracted to your partner stays pretty stable over time during a long-term relationship and something actually increases uh the thing that increases is uh basically the feeling of uh friendship with your partner if that makes sense so closeness and bonding that uh, that increases over time yeah okay exactly that increases over time so the feeling of bonding friendship uh comfortability uh, all that kind of thing. Yeah, which, I don't know. I thought it was a little interesting it to throw interesting. in there. And it makes a lot of... I don't know, it just clicks in my head. Like, yeah. the whole theory of it. You always got to be careful, though. These theories, uh, <laughs> you, sometimes the things that make the most sense might not always be right. Yeah. but And also, I feel like it's hard to measure as well because... It's oh, extremely, yeah. Definitely based off of self-reports. Oh, yeah, this is all... Most of research in love and all this kind of stuff is in self-reports except in sex there is some uh physical like measurements you can make but even then like i said before non-concordance doesn't always line up so like you uh any reaction that you're having with your genitals it doesn't equal pleasure doesn't equal desire Uh, uh our bodies are very much like oh, we see sex stimuli, we're going to react to that. But that doesn't take into consideration how you actually feel about it in your brain. Uh, I think that's uh, all we're going to talk about in this podcast. Maybe we'll do a part two because we did write a lot of notes about this. Uh, But yeah, this is kind of like a startup on maybe how to improve your sexual lives and just a few little theories to throw in there and a tiny bit of the history we kind of Went a bit off track there, but that's fine. That's kind of what this podcast is. Just something for. to kind of prune your brain juices to 
get into yeah, exactly. sex research. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm feeling motivated to Create do more research. that curiosity. Creating that curiosity. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you.